Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. Welcome to the Bo's Nose Show, coming to you here live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And it's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest. And I am Jay Bozovich, your host, West Lane County Commissioner. And this show is really your show, so we'd like you to call in and control the topic if you want. If not, I'll talk about what I want to talk about, and who knows where that might go. You can call us at 646-721-9887 and just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on our conversation and uh, we'll put you in the queue and get you on. And right now there's no one in the queue. So you call, you're on almost right away. So give us a call again, 646-721-9887. And don't forget to press one because that lets us know you have a question because people do call and listen over the phone uh, to the program when they can't get to a computer to listen. You can also email us at krbnradio.net, uh, at talk at krbnradio.net. And that, um, gets to us anytime. So if you have a question between shows, say you're listening to um, this uh, pre-recorded because by tomorrow you can listen to the show archived, um, just send us an email. And of course, you can always give us a Facebook message. If you check our Facebook page, uh, just uh, type in KRBN Internet Radio up there in the uh, Facebook search and you'll find our Facebook page, I'm pretty sure. Uh, And you can personal message us there, or you can just look for my Facebook pages, uh, Jay Bozovich, West Lane Commissioner, or Jay Bozovich, my personal page. Of course, my personal page, you might have to look at poodle pictures and an occasional cat picture uh, on my, my Facebook page. So today is you know the first show I've had live in a couple weeks here, uh, and two weeks ago I had a guest, which kind of controlled the topic of the show completely about... Um, you know, rent control and some of the legislature's attempts to step into, you know, they're concerned about the cost of housing. Problem is, is the what they're the, they were looking at was going to actually hurt the supply of housing rather than, you know, the real issue with housing is the fact that we need more supply. And those are the situations they ought to look at is what bills can they pass that increase housing supply, not what's going to damage supply. But that was two weeks ago. Replayed that show last week for folks because it was a pretty popular show and pretty well listened to. Uh, but now we're live this week. And, you know, like I said, you can control the topic by calling in. But there's a bunch of stuff that happened in that two weeks. And one of the reasons why I had to re- do the uh, pre recorded show last week is Board of Commissioners was still in our meeting that started at nine o'clock that morning to select the new East Lane County Commissioner to replace uh, Faye Stort, who had resigned a couple weeks before. And we ultimately ended up uh, agreeing to uh, appoint Gary Williams, who was the former mayor of Cottage Grove for 
I think it was 12 years. And before that, he was a city councilor. Um, so he had a pretty long, um, you know, it's municipal uh, history there, kind of similar to uh, Commissioner Sid Lichen. I think that's why Commissioner Lichen was so favorable to him. Uh, but it was an interesting process and a kind of a long day. We had 29 people submit applications, uh, one of which we could not um, verify that he lived in the district. In fact, I think we verified he lived outside of the district. Another one that failed to submit a resume and cover letter. That was a requirement, you know, a simple requirement of the application process. So we had 27 and then one of those 27 could not make um, the interview day because he was going to be traveling. That's all he said. So we were down to 26 applicants at nine o'clock last Wednesday morning. And we got to hear basically three minutes from each one on why they applied to be a commissioner. We were very open questions so they could kind of say whatever they wanted. And it was a fairly enlightening to go through all that. Um, yeah, and it was kind of interesting because there are some really pretty powerful resumes that applied. I mean, this was not a bunch of yahoos necessarily that just were hoping to get a, a full-time gig that had a paycheck and, and benefits. Um, we had people that had law degrees and had been practicing law. We had folks that had run you know, major businesses and had retired from it. Uh, and they were just you know, ran the gamut of, of, of different experiences. Uh, Gary Williams, who we appointed, um, small business owner, his, you know, owned a, owned a painting business his, and has retired from that. Uh, and also spent 12 years as mayor of Cottage Grove, which is, uh, I think, the third largest city in, in Lane County behind Eugene and Springfield, uh, a little over 10,000. Uh, yeah, we had a former uh, county commissioner apply. Uh, we had a former state legislator apply. So there, there were some pretty hefty resumes. And with those hefty resumes, you'd be surprised how nervous people were uh, speaking in, in that situation in that three minutes. In fact, there was uh, one candidate who I won't single out too carefully, but he had kind of that um, Governor Perry moment where he started to do a list of three things and got to number two and couldn't remember what his number two was. <laughs> so, you know, don't always think, you know, if you ever get in front of a crowd, you know, if you have to speak in front of your, uh, your rotary club or something like that, and you get nervous, just think about these folks, these 26 folks that chose to apply and they knew they were being televised live, um, to the entire County, um, and you know, all over the place by the internet, because we also televise our board meetings on the internet. Um, so they're on the, the Comcast channel 21 and, and the, the local access TV, as well as on the internet, as well as you know, a room full of people there and uh, you know, us five board of commissioners staring at them. Um, there were some pretty nervous folks but you know, most people made it through. Were able to convey, you know, why they wanted to be there, and uh, then we got to each select three people we wanted to move on to an afternoon longer, 15-minute um, interview. And a couple people had the same people on their list, so we only had nine people move forward to the afternoon. 
Uh, and before we did that, we kind of got an opportunity as board members to talk about the qualities we were looking for and the characteristics. Um, and it was it was somewhat revealing that both um, Commissioner Farr and Commissioner Lykin, the most important thing they talked about was previous elected official experience, which I didn't list as a necessary characteristic um, in making the appointment because uh, Faye Stort, who we were replacing, uh, ran for his seat originally as a 36-year-old who had no elected official experience. He had served on a city, on a city of Cottage Grove Planning Commission and on a school district's budget committee, and that was the only experience he had, and he only had a couple of years of that. Um, so he turned into a great commissioner because he had a great work ethic and he was really had a lot of heart and was well connected to his community. Um, so I was looking for somebody that was well connected to the community, a representative of East Lane County. Um, and it, you know, had the, had the, the, the intelligence, the drive and the heart to be a good commissioner. Um, and secondary to that, and it kind of showed up in my three picks for the afternoon, I kind of thought it was a little bit important, you know, as the four guys that were all over 50 years old um, were sitting up there on the dais looking to select a new commissioner to our board, it might not be a bad thing maybe if we could have had um, a, a woman to to be our, our fifth commissioner and, and provide a little bit of a different insight on the board. Um, so I selected, you know, three strong women candidates. and I, and. I had trouble getting down to those three because there was a lot of good um, women applicants in the pool. Uh, and uh, it actually turned out that five of our nine candidates in the afternoon were women. Uh, but the, the one candidate, you know, after we went through the afternoon interviews, we got to, to rank our candidates one to three at that point. And a candidate I ranked number one uh, was a young lady um, who's been serving as a chief of staff uh, for state representatives for the last five years up in Salem that lives um, out in the Walterville area uh, and uh, Leeburg, maybe even that far. Um, and really intelligent young lady. She's also works with um, the Eugene Chamber of Commerce's Governmental Affairs Committee uh, and also works with the realtors out of uh, Eugene Springfield and the Central Co Oregon Coast Board of Realtors. Um, really sharp, uh, but I was the only one that voted for her uh, at all, and I voted for her number one. She came in tied for third, and then in the tiebreaker didn't make it into the final three that got one more question. But it was kind of revealing that both uh, Commissioner Farr and Commissioner Lykin uh, definitely went for only guys that had elected official experience and they both listed Gary Williams as their number one candidate. So the writing was kind of on the wall. And of course, Commissioner Sorensen had three completely different people. Um, so the writing was kind of on the wall that there was gonna be if we were just going to vote straight off, it would have been 2-1-1, which would have meant no one gets selected. So seeing the writing on the 
on the wall that we were going to be divided. And I, you know, it was pretty obvious that Commissioner Lichen and Commissioner Farr had been set on Gary Williams from the very beginning. Um, I chose after the final um, three people were interviewed to make a motion to um, select and appoint Gary Williams uh, as our new commissioner, knowing that I already had the support of two commissioners and hoping that Commissioner Sorensen, seeing that it was the uh, majority pick, would also support him just in, in unity. But uh, Commissioner Sorensen chose to vote against him, and I think it was more just so he wouldn't be voting with um, what he feels is the conservative majority on the board, um, which is kind of sad because it's really just about appointing somebody, not about saying that you agree with somebody's politics. Um, but that's what he chose to do. So that was kind of where I was last Wednesday afternoon when I should have been doing my radio show was going through those last three interviews and then getting to yes. And we actually, I think, had that vote at about 10 minutes after five on Wednesday afternoon. So I completely missed the show's window um, to come on even late and, and announce who our new commissioner is. But you know, Gary's a really good guy. Uh, I've worked with him before. Uh, back when I first became a commissioner in 2011, him and a bunch of the rural mayors uh, had formed a group a year or so before I became a commissioner, maybe even two years, kind of to try and take control of some transportation and land use decisions away from what was then the, the progressive majority of the board of commissioners um, and get a rural voice um, and also the the dominance of Eugene in some of those decisions because Frankly, a lot of the small towns are pretty upset about the West Eugene Parkway being unilaterally killed by the city of Eugene. Um, they're kind of upset that the Board of Commissioners was ordering um, transportation priorities for the entire county without a lot of consultation in rural areas, seeing that there's, you know, at that point, there were um, two commissioners that were part of the, the progressive majority at that time were were the North and Eugene, South Eugene commissioners. So Eugene was again, dominating transportation decisions. So they kind of formed this group of uh, rural mayors and Phil Brubaker and Gary Williams, Phil Brubaker's from, was uh, the mayor of Florence, were kind of the leaders of that group. Um, and they really uh, made the county have to form an area commission on transportation. They got some legislation through the state, kind of forced it on the county, um, and ultimately got the Lane uh, Area Commission on Transportation formed, which has required um, voting members from all the small cities uh, in, in Lane County, as well as uh, some other representatives, it's still kind of dominated somewhat by the Eugene Springfield metro areas, um, a little bit more than I'd like at this time, but at least it provides some balance and voice to the rural communities um, in ordering our, our uh, transportation priorities that are going up to the Oregon um, Transportation Commission. And that's how ODOT funds major projects on state roads, et cetera. And if it weren't for the act, our priorities going up to the OTC would basically match what the city of Eugene wants through the uh, Metropolitan Planning Commission, which is 
their number one priority was to start a bike share program. I think their number two was some bike lockers at, at the downtown Eugene bus station. Uh, their number, you know, three was yeah, it just bikes and buses, bikes and buses was all they had on their list. No road projects at all. You know, in the meantime, the fact that the act is involved, the Beltline uh, Delta improvements have stayed the number one transportation priority coming out of the Lane Act uh, since they they formed, and it's that particular project was why Governor Brown. One of the reasons why Governor Brown came to visit us last uh, a week ago last Monday uh, to tour the Beltline Delta interchange and talk about the transportation package that's being formulated now up in Salem. Uh, so she was also here for several other reasons. Uh, there's a shake alert system that U of O is getting ready to try and get off the ground for Oregon, something that Oregon should have done years ago. Mexico's had one in place for 25 years, and uh, 25 years ago, Mexico was not considered, you know, a first world country, so they could do it 25 years ago, and Oregon still doesn't have it. What's that tell you about Oregon a little bit? Um, but she was here for a little bit of a, an event about the shake alert system. She also was at Yapoi Terrace uh, talking about their potential remodel, which is a whole nother issue about unilaterally deciding housing priorities without talking to the rest of the partners around here. Once again, the city of Eugene was involved in, in doing that. Um, somehow or another, Eugene and unilateral go together. Side point. But so the governor was here for several different events um, and she did come out to Beltline and I got to speak at that event along with um, the uh, Mayor uh, Crenshaw from from Junction City about how important Beltline is to them. In addition, uh, Mayor Lucy Venice uh, from Eugene was there and actually was supporting the project because the Beltline Delta Interchange is actually in the Eugene Transportation System Plan amendments that we had the hearing on this Monday, this past Monday night, um, and that was the major topic of the the public testimony that we got was they really wanted to see those Beltline Delta interchange improvements get done because of all the housing being proposed out North Delta Highway. Um, so it was great to have the governor here supporting that project um, because we don't always get support for highway projects. I know she's been um, supporting some mass transit projects and, and some other projects uh, for, as part of the transportation package. And it was really good to see her here supporting a road project that benefits our freight and our, you know, uh, tourism and, and just getting to and from work for commuters. And, you know, what, in the case of Beltline, where it's the one of the few places you can get across the Willamette River um, in this area, it's also needs seismic improvements. So it's all about resiliency and a lot of folks in West Lane County being able to get to the hospital on the other side of the river over there in Springfield in the gateway area. So really important project. It was good to have the governor here. Um, we're on kind of friendly terms uh, because I am, you know, she was here for a reason that I also support. So wasn't here to argue with her. So. Those of you that wanted me to, to um, 
take the opportunity to confront her about PERS or uh, Oregon's uh, employee health insurance cost or the spending priorities uh, that were in her governor's uh, proposed budget wasn't the time and place to do that. It was the time and place to smile and agree on something we could both agree on, which is our transportation infrastructure in Oregon is inadequate, is aging, and is in need of upgrades and maintenance and repairs. And one of the ways we're going to get there is to get a transportation package through the uh, legislature that can do some fund some of those projects. And in the case of the Beltline Delta Interchange, uh, the ultimate fix to that is somewhere between 200 and 260 million dollars worth of improvements, which can be phased in in pieces, but it's still a, a big undertaking, and really doesn't get fixed till all the pieces are done because they, those all those intersections from Good Pasture Island Road and Delta Highway, Delta and Beltline, uh, River Avenue, and and Beltline and River Road and Beltline, they're all so close together that, that they interact with each other. So you can't really um, do one thing without the other. So that's why Governor Brown was in town the other day, and it kind of uh, ties a few things together there um, for you. That Gary Williams being part of the group of rural um, mayors that helped get the Lane Act formed. The Lane Act chose Beltline as its number one transportation priority in Lane County to improve that. Um, and then the governor coming here to support that. So there you go. Managed to tie appointing a new commissioner with a governor and Eugene's transportation system plan all in one conversation. And what that take me about 23 minutes or so. So <laughs> How's that for a trick? But if you've got something else you want to talk about, this is your program, so you should give us a call at 646-721-9887, and just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener, producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation, and we'll get you uh, on the air as quick as we can here, and right now, if you call, you'll get right on the air because there's no one in the queue. And in between shows, you can also email us at talk at krbnradio.net, or you can just, you know, type my name into Facebook, and you can PM me and, and get get to me in all sorts of ways. Um, I'm, I'm pretty easy to reach, but this is just one of the ways I like to be available to the public. Uh, I can spend my hour here telling you about things that are going on in Lane County and the state. Or you can call me and ask me about something you specifically want to know about uh, rather than listen to me drone on about, um, you know, appointing commissioners and governor's tours and, and transportation system plans. And it's kind of, you know, getting back to Eugene's transportation system plan, it's sort of interesting because there's, there was quite a bit of testimony also from folks that, Eugene passed a climate recovery ordinance, and it basically said that they have this target and everything has to be, uh, all their decisions have to be filtered through this lens of trying to meet these carbon reduction targets in this, for the city of Eugene. And one of the, the complaints of some of the testimony was against the Beltline Delta interchange because it wouldn't reduce the carbon footprint and might even increase it. You know, of course, as I sat 
for 45 minutes trying to get through that series of intersections. Um, the other day after I left um, the, the county offices after appointing uh, former Mayor Gary Williams to be the East Lane County Commissioner, um, I think I was putting out a fair amount of greenhouse gases sitting in that traffic for 45 minutes. So uh, maybe improving that might actually limit uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And, and also who knows what cars will be fueled with in 20 years. Yeah, will we be almost entirely electrical fleet? Uh, are we going to be autonomously driven cars where they won't, you know, where they'll know exactly how fast to drive, you know, to keep from getting bumper to bumper traffic and stop and go? Because um, their 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 AI systems in there uh, keep them the correct distances apart and flowing freely. Um, we we just don't know what transportation will look like 20 years from now, but we do kind of know that our population in Oregon is growing at about 1% a year. And most people need to get to and from work, to and from the grocery store, and, uh, you know, to and from the hospital. Uh, when they want to go on vacation, they want to get from I-5 over to Florence. And the way to do that is Beltline Highway. And uh, we all know that's part of it. But it was interesting to listen to some of that about the um, Eugene's uh, climate recovery ordinance. And at the same time, at the city of Eugene has chosen in their transportation system plan to accept um, a level of service for their transportation facilities that basically is congested. That their, their plan does not plan really to improve any intersections and roads beyond the point to where in 20 years from now, they're not gonna be congested. Um, it, there's no desire to have their road system flow freely. Um, they're accepting uh, on their local roads, they have a system of grading the level of service from A through E or to F, uh, and where A is like free-flowing, you know, you think about early Sunday morning traffic on, on I-5, you know, at, at 5 a.m. or something like that. And level of service F is uh, trying to get out of Portland at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon, uh, getting from downtown and trying to get up to, Will to Willard or Curves, if you know what I mean. Uh, even trying to get onto I-5 from downtown Portland. Um, it's basically AFU and, and you're sitting in traffic for long periods of time at intersections, uh, as much as two minutes in an intersection or more. Uh, so it, it's uh, what they chose in their transportation plan was local streets could function at a level of service of E. So that that tells you where they are and, and major highways that doesn't they don't do a letter grade on that. They actually have a ratio they work at, which is the volume to capacity ratio. And they're accepting a volume of capacity ratio of one, which means at design build out for that road, basically it's gonna only be able, it'll carry exactly the volume of traffic projected. And really to be free flowing, you need a 0.8 uh, volume the capacity or lower. So where there's at least a, a, a uh, 20 to 25% buffer of capacity. So that there's, you get more free flow. When you're at a one, you're basically saying that's, you're maxing it. 
you know, you, when you go beyond one, obviously that means you've got, you got bumper to bumper going on, but their plan they're planning to adopt adopts a level of service of E and a volume to capacity ratio of one, which says what they're aiming for in Eugene is gridlock. Um, you know, for, for those of us that drive cars in, in an attempt you know, one of their goals is to increase walking and bicycling by like three times the percentage it is now over the next 20 years uh, and bus ridership by, I think, at least doubling that. So what they want to do is make things so congested that you get fed up and you're willing to go on a bus system that averages 16 to 17 miles an hour instead of in your own personal vehicle or you're willing to hoof it or bicycle in Oregon's rain, rainy winters um, to get to and from places. Uh, you know, just one of those little things that's buried in a document, um, which, you know, as a county commissioner, I can't have a lot of control over that. If it's what the city council absolutely wants, um, I'm not gonna fight that too bad. My biggest concern was just making sure the Beltline interchange uh, beltline improvements didn't get pulled out because those affect more than just Eugene. Just like the West Eugene Parkway was not about Eugene, it was about Venita, Florence, everybody west of there having ability to get into town. Uh, and ultimately there was another bridge across the Willamette River down at Valley in the Valley River area that would have connected to it. Um, it was about having an alternative to Beltline. So now they've forced unilaterally gotten rid of the West Eugene Parkway and the Valley River, the new Valley River Bridge out of their TSP years ago, it forces Beltline to be the major east-west um, way to get from I-5 to West Lane County. And it's important to Junction City, it's important to, you know, Blatchley Triangle Lake, it's important to Venita, it's important to you know, the folks out in Walton, it's important to the folks down on the coast in Dune City and Florence. That is a major regional transportation improvement. And if Eugene um, was to, you know, kill that, it would be a problem. So um, I see we've got somebody up on the board there, Robin, that, um, with a question mark. Do we have a caller with a question? Hello. Hey, do you have a question? Uh, or co yeah. How, how are you doing? Say, I, I'm, I'm doing I'm well. To, um, yes, I do. Yeah, go ahead. Do I need to air. turn off the computer? Okay, I'm on. Hey, uh, I was just listening to you on the there, I'm not uh, very familiar. I, I live out Dexter area, but didn't the city of Eugene, the people of Eugene, vote for that uh, parkway or that new road that went to Vedita and all that? It isn't, didn't they vote for, for that in, and then uh, the mayor went ahead and mixed it? Isn't that what happened? Yeah, basically, um, the the citizens actually had two. Um, votes on the West Eugene Parkway. And of course they were advisory style votes. They were just something that was placed on, on the ballot 
um, to, to read the populace. And both times it got support. It got a majority of the votes. So twice okay. the citizens of Eugene said, we want the West Eugene Parkway. And then the mayor, um, through some, you know, and this was uh, former Mayor Kitty Piercy, uh, and some of the council members got together and unilaterally killed it um, through some uh, legislative manipulation in pulling it from the transportation system plan for Eugene. And if it's not on the transport, if it's not in the local transportation plan, ODOT can't move ahead with it. So even though ODOT had spent, you know, $20 million acquiring right away and doing survey work for the parkway at that point, the Eugene council and all that got that pulled out of the transportation system plan. And once it's not in the plan, ODOT, you know, that's kind of part of the, 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 the state laws when they're building something that's within the planning jurisdiction of a locality, it has to be part of their transportation plan. You know, ODOT can't come in and okay. say, say, you will have this highway in your town. Okay. So, uh, well, that's kind of what happened. So, yeah, you're, you are right. Well, it was voted on twice and approved by the citizens of Eugene. And, and frankly, if it had been voted on by the entirety of Lane County, it would have been overwhelmingly approved. But the city of Eugene had to, has control of their own transportation system plan and pulled it from that unilaterally. Why did they put it on the ballot, on the ballot to begin with? I mean, I, yeah, it, I it think the supporters... Yeah, it's one of those things where the support the supporters of the um, parkway on uh, out in the public got it put on there, trying to force the council to um, keep keep it alive. Um, but it, it, you know, they kind of basically said we don't care. Well, it's uh, I've been listening listening to you to the show here. There's a lot of things that the county has done that they don't seem to care about how the people of Lane County feel. I mean, and it's the city of Eugene that, that's been causing a lot of the problems for the county. And I don't know yeah. how to get that resolved or how, how you guys would resolve it because, after all, Eugene is in Lane County, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. But they are they are a municipality. Well, go ahead. I I, I'm very heavily into into the water aspect of things. I I used to own a pump company, and Mm -hmm. when I when I'd go out into Lane County and and work with a lot of people that building new homes, they got building permits, and in these building permits. They were required to do aquifer tests in before they even get a building permit. They had to have an aquifer test. If you're in the county, you had to have 20 gallons a minute for 20 minutes, and different things that they were putting on homeowners for the water requirement. Well, I I went in and talked to the head planner, uh, the Oh, Bay Stewart, a bunch of people. Even the watermaster was there because in the state there's an ORS code 
that states that the legislative assembly found groundwater protection is a matter of statewide concern. And no ordinance, order, or regulation shall be adopted by local governments to regulate the inspection of wells, construction of water, or, or anything like that. And Lane County and the cities around the area, that's exactly what they do, is they do things for inspection of wells, construction of wells, but they don't know anything about what to do with well systems. And like an aquifer test that you have to, that homeowners were required to do, were costing four and five thousand dollars for an aquifer test that they technically they could not do. And uh, I'll, I'll move away from this other phone. I I complained to the to the commissioners some years back that aquifer tests in Lane County were not supposed to be required by the county. Only the state could do that. And I've got yeah. three or four homeowners completely off of that, but the building department down there is still requiring the same thing. And I I was always wondering how how we could get the county and the cities to obey the laws of the state that the state has passed. That sounds I don't know if you understand what I'm talking about here, Jay, but um, yeah, that, it's, been, it's, been, you know, it's, it's interesting because I work with clients. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, you you know I came out of um, uh, being an engineer, and actually my last job was with uh, Eugene Water Electric Board on the water utility side. So I'm pretty familiar with um, Oregon water law as we were looking at possibly doing a well field uh, as a supplemental um, emergency backup source to sure. our Mackenzie River source. Um, and, you know, you are correct. The state does have jurisdiction over groundwater, but they have yes. put requirements on localities in the approval of development in requiring proof of adequate water supply. So there is actually an ORS, and I don't have the number in front of me, about that, that refers to what it takes to get a subdivision approved and development approved in the state of Oregon. And one of the things you have to have proof of before you can actually re record a subdivision map is that you have adequate water supply, which either means you have bonded for the construction of the extension of a municipal supply. If you're inside a city limits and doing a subdivision, if you're doing a rural subdivision, you actually have to submit evidence that there's a, a usable well on each lot. Um, right. And that's now, absolutely right. That's that. And, and so that, I'm not that, quite that's sure. That's absolutely right. Yeah. So, so I'd have what, to have. The Go first ahead. one I ran into was in Mark. The first one I ran into was in Mark. The piece of property was a 10-acre piece of property, had two houses on it. And they were their houses were fine. They wanted to split off the two houses. It was a grandfather did. So they wanted to split off two houses. And the county required that there be an aquifer test because there was only one well on the lot. So there had to be an aquifer test on the other way, well, because it was required by the county. I said, no, it's not. 
you go out and have another well drilled on the other lot that you proposed and let that well feed the house because there's no law against drilling a well on that property. You can drill as many wells as you want on the property. Well, the county didn't say that. So there's different things that go on in the county. They would not approve for the, the minor subdivision. I mean, it was just a, a, they wanted to separate the two houses. But they, yeah, they minor would partition. do things just, just a minor partition. But they, they were requiring an aquifer test, which would cost more than what just drilling well on that piece of property was. So it, there's things that the county's saying that is completely, it's not even in line with what the state does. You, you follow what I'm saying? I, yeah, I, I yeah. ran into a, 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 up a Good Pasture Road up, uh, up by Vida. House went mm-hmm. in, friend of mine, lived right on the river, on the Mackenzie. Well, the county required that there be 20 gallons a minute for 20 gallons, of, 20 gallons a minute for 20 minutes of the well. I said, that's 400 gallons. I said, that's not much for fire protection, 400 gallons. I said, why don't you just put a pump, emergency pump, on the river, because if you're right here, get yourself a pump. Get it okay from the water master and pump right straight to the river. Well, the county wouldn't let them do that. So I don't know where you separate what the planning department does in the county from what the requirements are with the Oregon Water Resource and where you're going to separate the stuff so the people of Lane County aren't getting confused with two different regulations. Because yeah, the planning I'm, department is actually fighting the state. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to look into that a little bit. It's that you're kind of mixing two different things. If it if they're just asking for twenty gallons a minute for twenty minutes for firefighting, that's different than an aquifer test. Well, yeah, that's correct. So both of them come up from the same planner, Lake County planner down below. So, and, and yeah. I. I have a real hard I know time we, when there's a law with the state that says you can't do that. Yeah. So I know we've had some turnover in our planning department. Yeah. So I know we've had turnover in our planning department. We have, have a new new uh, department head there, um, and specifically for some of these reasons um, where there were there, – there was a, a stubbornness to try and enforce things that we felt weren't um quite right so that's why there's new staff there so i'd be interested that whether we're still making that requirement um i know that there was a uh, a recent development near eugene uh, on the uh, southeast side that uh, the citizens were very concerned about um, the neighboring citizens about potential impact of their wells um for that that um Development and there was no um, there was a report done by um, somebody on the aquifer, but that was it was there was no real um, they they were asking for additional aquifer tests and they actually um, were turned down on that by the county. So it it I'm I'm hearing a mixed message in some ways because it it it's um, 
there is well, one case where I remember specifically neighbors asking for an aquifer test in the county saying we can't require that. Yes. So, so, the, so the that may it may have changed. Are, aquifer tests were, are done for actually big irrigation wells to test aquifers, and you have to have monitoring wells 100 feet out from the from the subject well. So. For each well that you have an aquifer test for, you have to have monitoring wells required at different dis distances. Well, the county wanted the county wanted us to go ahead and require the neighbor ask the neighbor if you could use their well. Well, you don't ask the neighbor if you can use their well for. I mean, it, it, you're you're supposing something that is not your right to do. You, you just can't go over and use the neighbor's well. For, to see what the aquifer is doing, because that well might be a quarter mile away. So it, it was just there's things about aquifer tests that the county and even the state there's a requirement on how you conduct the aquifer test, and they're only for irrigation wells, not for domestic wells. So that that was the big contention I was getting into. So yeah. anyway, there's just there's just stuff that. I, I designed up a, a system that wasn't 40 gallons, uh, 20 gallons of for 20 minutes. I had one that was actually a 2,000-gallon reservoir that were on properties that only had a, a, a gallon to two gallons of water. So, but I, I need to, I'd like to get together with you sometime and talk about some of these things that the county requires that are impossible to do for these people. As long as they spend enough yeah. money to get their permit. Yeah. So, I'd be curious to find out if we're still requiring that aquifer test because, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly yeah. familiar with those because I ran quite a few of them um, from production wells out, out in the, uh, in the, what we call the uh, sure. um, McKenzie, McKenzie Delta there, that area um, with, with right. monitoring wells all around. Uh, getting getting the properties of that aquifer defined, and, and also looking at what the potential drawdown might be on Coburg's and and Springfield's well system, if, if uh, Eugene was to develop a well, an operational well field. So, been there and done those aquifer tests, and it is it is it is a. Um, I'm just wondering if there's a terminology. Um, problem because I don't think what they were really are looking for is an aquifer test. I think well, they're just looking for it, 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 a single pump. Yes. I could use. I haven't. I'm not having used names because I know you're on the, on the computer. But I could give you the names of engineers that I've argued that the aquifer tests are talking about and what the state talks about are two different things. So, and they're engineers. So, yeah. I, I can. And you know, I I've done quite a bit of stuff with water. So. I'd like to see what it is. Uh, the county had it marked as addendum A for aquifer test. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, tell you what, um, do me a favor and either drop me an email at my county email. If you can, if you're on the web there, okay. you can go to the Lane County site under. Um, there's a tab that says government, and if you go down there, there's board of commissioners and you can get to my particular email and then we can kind of get back and forth and arrange a time to meet because I'd, I'd be okay. interested in hearing more about 
Um, sure. And, uh, and, we'll, and I'll, we'll get to the bottom of it. I'll try and I'll just try and do it a case at a time. So, you know, I, I'm just on this phone call with you. I didn't know what we could talk about or whatever, but there's a lot of cases that I can bring forward to you that it's just, it's terrible the way that the citizens here have been ran around with the, with the water yeah. stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, Jay, good talking to you. All right, good talking to you, and, and thanks for calling, and thanks for taking the conversation in a completely different direction. It's always great to, to change subjects now and then. Went, went, went from right. transportation planning to, to aquifers. Yes. <laughs> it makes life interesting. <laughs> yeah, and, and into a subject that I have a pretty good interest in. <laughs> yep. Thank you that's for calling. That's good. You bet. Bye-bye. Well, it's always interesting on the Bose Nose Show. You just don't know where the conversation is going to go. Um, I've had a couple interesting calls that have taken the conversation in different directions, but that 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 was a pretty interesting shift. But it was all keyed on on you know it started out with uh, our new East Lane County Commissioner Gary Williams and working towards transportation stuff, and eventually towards the West Eugene Parkway, and then. Um, government's doing things that they shouldn't do and, and a consideration that possibly Lane County might be requiring something in our building permits that we shouldn't be requiring. So hopefully uh, we'll be able to get together and talk about that and figure out whether that's still happening or not. Uh, I haven't heard any complaints about that. And, and believe me, there's enough rural permits pulled in West Lane County that if there was a problem, I would probably have heard about it. So uh, hopefully we've fixed the problem that he was talking about. Um, but we'll take a look at whatever else he's got. So is there anything on your mind? There's a good 10 minutes left here, 646-721-9887. And just press one and that lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. Um, we were talking about quite a few things uh, and haven't quite gotten around to some of the legislative stuff. Because, you know, it's always entertaining what comes out of Salem. Uh, you know, just amazes me that while we're trying to close what's supposed to be a $1.8 billion shortfall, of course, we got $2 billion more than we had last biennium. So having a shortfall is kind of an interesting way to talk about it. Um, they're busy talking about making the state bird the osprey instead of the western meadowlark. And... Uh, you know, naming a state dog and all sorts of other crazy stuff. And, uh, you know, it's just crazy what they do up there. And it's interesting that, you know, the chair of the Judicial Committee, who is also an attorney um, and, and does uh, municipal court work in his in his spare time and uh he's he's a pretty sharp guy but he he kind of uh tripped over his own own feet and, and uh you know he's one of these guys that's uh sort of got a thing against the second amendment and you know, senator prozonsky's put forward some bills through his uh judiciary committee that are related to uh Second Amendment issues and gun control and all that. 
But for some reason, he didn't bring them forward soon enough on some of them that they actually missed some deadlines and he couldn't take action on them. He forgot to schedule a work session before um, April, I think it was April 7th. And he, so therefore, they, you know, he tried to bring them up in committee and he couldn't because he hadn't done that prior to April 7th. Um, it was just one of these classic bundles, bungles from somebody that's been in the legislature for years. I, I can't, geez, when was Floyd actually elected? Back in the early 2000s, about 2002, when he first became a state senator. So he's been at it for multiple sessions. Uh, one of the reasons why he's a chair of the powerful Judiciary Committee is because he's been there for a long time. And uh, I just have, you know, it was one of those things where it was one of the best things that happened for folks that support the Second Amendment uh, in a long time. Uh, and then, you know, it amazes me that he's also pushing through his Judiciary com Committee a bill that would, that would require recreational um, marijuana outlets, uh, retailers to expunge their records of any identifying information of their customers within so many days, like 72 hours. Um, when I, you know, back when he was passing the background check bill, Senate Bill 941, a couple sessions ago, I asked that if he was going to pass that bill, that at least have a section in there that required the state police to destroy the background check records and have a third party audit and ascertain that they've been destroyed. And my timeline was six months, you know, that after six months that they would be destroyed and that there would be third party verification of their destruction. Well, right now they're supposed to be destroyed, but there, you know, there's no guarantee they are. In fact, it's, it's pretty sure they're keeping them. Um, in fact, they, we've been told that they're keeping that as a database. So these gun registration uh, law, gun, gun background check laws actually are gun registration laws, which is super anti, um, you know, right to bear arms. If you, know, if you have a registration of who has them, then you've got a registration of where you can go to confiscate them when you want to confiscate. Uh, but it, it's interesting that Senator Prozonsky who couldn't get the dates right for his gun control bills is more than willing to try and protect the privacy of folks buying pot, you know, which is a federally illegal substance, but he won't protect the identity of folks that are buying a federally protected, you know, um, product, you know, that the right to own is federally protected, specifically called out in the Second Amendment of the Bill of Rights and specifically called out in the Oregon Constitution. In fact, the Oregon Constitution's protection of, of the right to bear arms is even stronger than the way it's worded in the Second Amendment. There's no mention of a militia or anything in there, so there's no confusion that there is a clear-cut right in the Oregon's constitution granted to the people to bear arms. So, you know, so entertainment wise up there, 
it's been kind of entertaining, you know, what what they choose to to work on. But you know, here uh, about one particular senator from here in, in Lane County that managed to uh, not get the timing right on all his gun control bills, although they'll gut and stuff stuff that has relating to clauses. They kept a couple bills alive that have relating to clauses that that um, they can strip out and put back in some pretty nasty language. So don't don't fall asleep if you're a Second Amendment supporter. But, you know, he's willing to try and protect the identity of, of, of pot buyers, uh, but he won't protect the identity of gun owners um, from being in a government database. And we all know how secure the state's database systems are to uh, intrusion by third parties. So <laughs> not. Uh, so it's just one of those things that really bothers me um, how they can just be so disdainful of folks that choose firearms as the way they want to protect themselves and their family um, in a right that's protected under the Oregon and U.S. constitutions, but they're more than willing to uh, protect the privacy of folks that are purchasing a federally controlled substance that's not really legal to be sold uh, except for, you know, under state law. So uh, it just, I don't know where the priorities are up there in Salem, but they keep on doing strange things just like my show that, you know, I had last week with the, uh, the folks uh, from the Oregon Realtors Association. Um, they see a problem, you know, and they want to punish or, or do the wrong things. They see problems with gun violence and instead of actually looking at um, who actually commits that violence and, and how you can deal with that, like mental health, instead they're proposing to close one of the major mental health providing facilities in the state at the Junction City Hospital no, they're going to put laws in place that are actually going to impact lawful gun owners and then instead, you know, make it just it, it's surprising to me the way they go after things. Uh, and in the case of the housing crisis that where the cost of housing is going up, they don't understand the reason it's going up is the supply is restricted. So what do they attack? They attack the people that are actually supplying the housing in a rent control bill, thinking that's somehow we're going to fix things. No, it's not, Salem. You know, so kind of it's state dogs and time to start thinking about what's the real problem and focus on solutions that deal with the real problem. And in most cases in gun violence, you're dealing with somebody with a mental health issue or you're dealing with somebody that's already a lawbreaker. You know, focus on that. If you're dealing with a housing issue, it's about supply, increase the housing supply. Well, that's about it for the Bose Nose Show this week. I'll be back next week, and who knows what we'll talk about. It might be water wells and, and all that. So we'll talk to you later. Have a great week, and thank you for listening to the Bose Nose Show. Good night.